Hello, Untitled Friends. Hello. Welcome to April on Delay. Yes. <laughs> that is the April, April on Delay. It is. We're kind of coming at you today with a double whammy, but we're going to kind of split it up, yeah? Yes. We had um, a, a health delay last month. Yes, we had health delays, but we are, but we are, we're fine. We are, we're on the mend. We are mending. We are mending. <laughs> yes. Mending. Yes. Hashtag mending. <laughs> Well, we had, and we had so much to cover in April too. So, um, so we're going to kind of, we're bringing you April courtesy of late May. Yes. All <laughs> right. So here is the, the rundown of our, our April show. Hit me. There's so much to cover. Well, don't hit me, but. I'm know. not going to, no violence. No. Um, we need to start with Jesus Christ. Superstar you on Easter, Jesus You Christ can't see our arm choreo, but it's on point. John Legend. Yeah. Yeah, we're going there. We're going big. Um, I'm, I'm going to fill you in on my London extravaganza and all the other stuff I saw in Europe. Um, we're going to talk about the Old Globe's American Mariachi. We're bringing you Trading Spaces on TLC with the original Paige Davis et al. Mm-hmm. And uh, Baychella. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. The Time 100? Mm-hmm. Yes? Okay. I'm gesturing right now with a Bill Clinton hand. Yes. I don't know what that's about, <laughs> but I don't know why I started doing that. You didn't have sex with that woman. I did not have sex with that woman. Uh, then we're going to talk about Kendrick Lamar's Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. Yes. And then we're going to bring you Joe's Nerd Corner. Got that nerd corner because things happened in April. With all of the superhero movies that I'll never see. Exactly. I'll just I'll just talk into the air. Wendy will go <laughs> get a drink. She'll I, come back. You done? I will go and get a manicure and come back. Yeah. Yeah. That'll Need be that. It. All right. So let's talk about John Legend, Sarah Bareilles, all of what a way to the start Stephen the month, Schwartz, right? right? He is risen. Yes. And let's give you a big fancy musical about it. So I have to start by telling you that I w- while I was in Europe, uh-huh. I, was, I was really excited to come home to this DVR full of all of the things of two weeks, right? Jesus Christ Superstar being one of them. And I came home and realized that the power had shorted out. <gasps> no. Like two, I think like two days after I left. So literally... Everything had nothing recorded. Everything was lost. So I had to like go back and watch Jesus Christ Superstar on Hulu. What was me? First world problems. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Let's get into it. Go. So uh, I'll start with um, how I watched it. So I watched it um, on Easter Sunday with my gay friends. Mm-hmm. I went to, uh, shout out to my friends, Anthony and Eric. I went up. To, hey, Anthony and Eric. I went to their house, their home, their homo home. And mm-hmm. um, they were actually having like a, it was like the end of their Easter brunch and they were going to have the viewing party. So everyone, by the time everyone had been there for brunch. And so I, they left and I stayed and I will tell you what it was. Um, one, it was fascinating watching something live because mm-hmm. you know I rarely watch anything live um, with the commercials and all that um, anymore. Who does? I, I know. Seriously, <laughs> hashtag first world problems. Um, and I was actually very, I was very pleased with the production. I am not that familiar with Jesus Christ Superstar. I, mm-hmm. I haven't seen the film. I know the songs that you're supposed to know from it. Uh, you know the, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, it was very interesting. And it was also like, you know, it was a nice way to celebrate our Lord. <laughs> Consider it was the only way I celebrated our yeah. Lord that that weekend. <laughs> so what did you think of it, um, Ms. Wendy? I thought I'm trying to not sound ignorant and name the wrong names. Because <laughs> <laughs> apparently I thought that Stephen Schwartz wrote Jesus Christ Superstar. And no, it was Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh, Patty Lapone would shame me so yes. dearly. All right. Anyway, sorry, friends. Um, okay, I thought the production quality was bananas, insane. Yeah. It was really beautiful. I also am not super, super familiar with this musical, but as I was watching it, I thought, oh, I know that. Oh, this is from that? Oh, okay, I know that too. Um, and Sarah Bareilles made me really like the music. Yes. She sang and made me think like, oh, this is lovely. 
Whereas when you hear it on like Sirius XM or something, it sounds really dated and seventies. And why did people care about this musical in the first place? John Legend sang his face off. Brandon Dixon. Brandon Dixon, yes. Also Brandon, sang Brandon his three names Dixon. Motherfucking face off. Yeah. Um, I I just thought like they left it all on the stage, and it was really truly a theatrical performance that just happened to be filmed. And that's what made me really respect like the Wiz live and you know, all of the other and like even though I hated Grease Live, but like when yeah. they're <laughs> When they're truly treated like theater pieces and then they're filmed, like there's something yeah. that's captured in that. That's the thing about, that's the thing I didn't like about Grease Live was yeah. that it was. It was very like TV. It was very TV. It was for TV. Yeah. It was for TV. It was like, let's get in a cart and go to the next soundstage mm-hmm. type of deal. Whereas like Jesus Christ Superstar, it was, you know, they kept saying it's the live concert experience, live concert experience. Mm-hmm. And. And I thought I was like, okay, I don't know if I'm going to like this because it's like people screaming and, you know, mm-hmm. oh my God, blah, blah. Yeah. but at the end of the day, like I thought it worked really well. I thought it actually kind of was a nice thing they added to the story. It was a, that's what I mean. I feel like nice by layer. treating it like, like a live in concert piece, it read way more theater than a like made for TV musical. Exactly. You know, and the whiz also kind of, I thought did that even though that was, was that a different network or that was, no, also that was, NBC? that was also NBC. It was also NBC. They treated it like it was a staged piece, right. For the theater mm-hmm. and filmed it. And yeah. And I think that there, I think NBC right now, you know, is, I mean, I think they're trying to, they're trying to make up for it with the first two musicals. They're they really did. trying to make up for the sound of music. They're yes. really trying to make up for Peter Pan. Yes. It's, it's clear. It's very clear. And they clear. need to, you have work to do there, NBC. You really do. Yeah. Yeah. So good, good on you. But I mean, I, if anything, I was like really, really impressed with, with John Legend mm-hmm. and his acting chops. Yeah, he could have gone on Broadway. Like he mm-hmm. could, he could easily go to Broadway. And like, I was also very impressed with Sarah Bareilles because she's mm-hmm. been she's been doing um, Waitress, Waitress on Broadway for mm-hmm. she's had a couple of uh, stints doing that her show that she wrote. And I'm like, yeah, she really is a talent. Like mm-hmm. she's just not she's not just the person behind the page behind mm-hmm. the behind the piano. Well, she's, when she wrote Waitress too, mm-hmm. it was also really clear that she understands how to write for the theater. Yeah. So writing for the theater and then performing in the theater, I think that. It's a good transition. It, yeah, it kind of showed that she has she has the chops and it's there. Yeah. So yeah. I kind of want to see how much they paid Alice Cooper to co- like wheel him out and oh, do the one. Oh god, I totally <laughs> could have lived without that. I forgot about that. Like blocked it out of my head. I was like he did, and he's like super Christian too. Like he's apparently someone who's like really Christian. Uh-huh. Um and so the other thing about Jesus Christ Superstars, I'll mention this, is that there have been, there are like a couple of like local San Diego companies that have been doing it. They mm-hmm. did it a little bit right before the run of, or right before the airing of this show or the, the NBC one. Mm-hmm. And then there's another one later in June, like another company in North County that's doing Jesus Christ Superstar as well. Mm-hmm. And like my mom, so my mom, love her. She's super Catholic, right? Mm-hmm. She really wants to see it. Like she mm-hmm. wants to see a live production and I was trying to tell her I'm like you know it might not (laughs) it might not be like what you think (laughs) is it gonna live up to John Legend on the cross I probably not and the flames the flames the flames the flames Uh, pilot Pontius Pilate's cape choreography I lived for when Mm. he like did the flourish and then knelt I was like ooh Pontius you made me stirred my loin Uh. Yeah, I was really, I was pleasantly surprised. I I really had very little expectation of it. I was just like, yeah, I'm curious. And I knew that we would be talking about this here. Yeah. So, uh, and, they, and they got like Norm Lewis. Like they got some really. They had some real big like yeah. powerhouse names and voices in there. Yeah. And also shout out to the thick ass dancers who were up in that ensemble. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about it? Yes. I love me some big girl dancers up in there and some big boys. Oh girl. Natural hair with yes. the with the like plaid shirt tied around the waist yes. like it's freaking the nineties girl yeah. getting stomping for I was Jesus, pleased. literally. I, literally. <laughs> I was really pleased to see bigger bodies on stage embracing story and 
there's my faggy rant about that. Yes. <laughs> um, also, Simon Peter, I love you. I love that actor. He was so cute. You, I bet you do. I, I bet know. you do. I had impure thoughts about an apostle. No. What else is new? Oh, Jesus <laughs> forgives you. John Legend will forgive you. Yay. Um, I'm always kind of like shocked with like the abrupt ending of Jesus Christ Superstar. I mean, like we know how it ends. Yes. Obvi. But then I'm like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> there's no like, there's no nice, like pretty like aftermath conclusion after that. Mo- no, nothing. That's it. We just end with that. Yeah. He showed up. He showed the right amount of like cleavage. John mm, Legend did mm-hmm. before they like stripped him. Yeah. And those deep V's him. man, those deep V's. Mm-hmm. Um, also, did we take note of Chrissy Teigen live tweeting the event? As I well? did not. I was like, she's probably living for this. This is like her. This is like her Super Bowl right it now. It was awesome because some Republicans tried to like call out the deep V or something and like the scandalous whatever blah blah blah, and she called them out on like their money money laundering and <laughs> she just like read all the Republicans for filth and she's the best. Anyway, okay. Shall we move on? We have a full roster today. Move it, girl. Okay. On our delayed April. Okay. I'm going to bring you into um, my Europe trip. Now, I saw some dope shit while I was there, but I want to talk about two pieces that that happened to be on my last day of international travel. Yes. Um, I was clearly winding down because I had done like two full weeks on foot wandering all over Europe. So my last day in Europe, I was like, my goal is to do a lot of sitting down. I want to do all the sitting down. So the night prior, I had met up with Kurt and Lynette, our friends who are now living abroad in London. Yay, shout out to them. Shout out to Kurt and Lynette. We had a fun night together. And they're doing wonderful, Untitled Friends. They're doing wonderfully. Um, I also interviewed Kurt for the Untitled Friendship Project. Yes, you you did. Yes, you did. So... That night, I was like, eh, I was starting to kind of like feel the tired. And I was like, maybe Kurt and Lynette will want to do a lot of sitting down with me and let's go see a show tonight. Um, so I picked up a theater guide and then their tube was running late and all that. We wound up having a late dinner. So we would have missed whatever shows that night. But at the end of the night, I was looking through the theater guide and I thought, well, my last day in town was going to be on a Thursday because I was flying out on Friday. So I was like, who is a Thursday matinee? And I looked and there was a Thursday matinee at the Globe. Oh. I know. Now I had the last Shakespeare's Globe. Shakespeare's Globe. Yes. When I had been to London last time, I went and took a tour of the Globe, but I didn't see any performance there. So I looked to see what was there, and there was this show called Vivaldi's Four Seasons Reimagined. Now, Vivaldi's Four Seasons is my favorite piece of classical music. Really? Yes. Okay. So all of a sudden I was like, I want to check this out. Um, and reimagined and in performance. Okay. Barely read anything about it really. Um, until I got back to my Airbnb that night. So I go back to the Airbnb. I start to do a little research on this. It turns out this is Vivaldi's four seasons played live by a quartet of live mus- musicians, uh, live by candlelight <gasps> in the globe. Uh huh. And then the four seasons as told through puppetry. Oh, I mean... That's like everything you love. God damn it, London. Yes. Okay, I'm listening. So then I do a little more digging. Find out that the puppeteers who are working on it were the same puppeteers who worked on War Horse. Oh, shit. I mean, Untitled Friends, you see my face right now? Yeah, she's giving you. She's serving that. There's my face. So guess what I did, Joe? I bought the damn ticket. You sure did. I sure fucking did. So... I I was like, I don't fucking care. Take all my money, whatever, London. <laughs> so I bought the ticket that night. And there was like one ticket left for the matinee show that, that looked like a decent seat that was like front row on like the upper tier. And it said that it was a restricted view. I was like, I don't even care. I just want to like go and sit in that space and watch a show. Now, there are different performance spaces within Shakespeare's Globe. So this was not the thatched roof Space. It was like a smaller performance space within their their building. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> turns out there is no good seat in the globe at all. <laughs> like <laughs> it's like, all restricted view. All of the seats suck because 
it's a 400 year old space and it's shitty. And unless you're sitting on the floor center looking straight ahead and there's no tall person in front of you, your seat is going to suck. Like a groundling. Like, Correct. Yeah. yeah. So I was sitting like kind of like it's a, a U-shaped kind of proscenium. And so I was literally sitting like kind of on the corner of that U shape with a pillar right in front of me. So I kind of had to do like the side to side. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Little Ariana Grande. I was like, I'll do that little side to side. So then (laughs) I was also on the, in the front row of the balcony. So anytime there was any action on the floor that was on the stage left side, everyone in the balcony like leaned over. And the second we lean over to see the stuff, nobody behind us can see anything. So then they're leaning over and we're leaning over. Anyway, um, the seats sucked, but I didn't fucking care because the puppetry was so incredibly beautiful. What they did was they told the the story of like a life cycle as told through puppetry in the four seasons. So it was this beautiful abstract story of a boy who grows up and loses his parents to war and, and turmoil and then how that grief affects him and his relationships throughout the rest of his life and then how he deals with his emotions and then how he then in turn kind of like lets go of that and then finds a new relationship. And I, about halfway through it, I was like sitting there like, why is my face wet? <laughs> and then I... My face is wet. And then I could not stop weeping, openly weeping. Mm-hmm. It was something in that broke me. It was beautiful. Afterwards, I met one of the puppeteers and I said, I saw you in War Horse. And he was like, oh, goodness, that was a long time ago. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. I've been following your work for a really long time and I want to work with you. Okay. (laughs) Um, But I was just a weepy, just broken idiot after that. So that was my matinee (laughs) on the last day. It was stunning. Um, And then I had to walk down to the National Theater because I had a ticket to Pinocchio that night. So turns out it's literally just this like lovely walk down the Thames River. Mm-hmm. And so while I'm walking from the Globe to the ta- or to the um, the National Theater, uh, I pass the Tate Modern, which is this like amazing modern art museum. And I'm uh, they were having a Picasso exhibit, so I walk in there and I'm like, sure, let me go and see some art. So I saw Matisse and Picasso and I bought out the gift shop and Jesus Christ. Right. And I'm just like weepy all day. Then walk down to the national theater to see Pinocchio. Now Pinocchio was the reason I was in London altogether. Mm -hmm. This production like was getting a lot of buzz. Yeah. 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 And I initially wasn't going to go to London on the tail end of this trip. And then I realized Pinocchio was still playing. So I went. Um, And the second it started, I just like grabbed my face and was just like, like the guy sitting next to me, it was just laughing hysterically at me the whole time. Cause I was just, again, like weeping continuously. So the idea for, for that uh, piece of, of, puppetry there was that like all of the the humans in the story of Pinocchio, Stromboli and Geppetto and all of them, they were all played by large scale puppets and then the humans and puppets in the story were played by or I'm sorry, the the toys and the puppets were played by humans. So it just kind of threw the scale completely out of whack and it was beautiful and giant and colorful and what they did with the whale and everything in like shadow was like ah. It was bananas amazing. It was so good. And then I come back and I hang out with James and he's like, oh yeah, those are the same puppeteers that I'm working with on the Lorex right now. And oh my God, yeah, they were telling me about that stuff and you saw all of it? Um, yeah, I saw all of it. Thanks, James. I want to meet them now. So make that happen, James Vasquez. Make it happen. Come on, Jimmy. Come on, come Jimmy. Come on, Jimmy V. Um, wow, that just sounds just amazing. It was. Sorry, that was a really long tirade. But it was like, it felt like a really important day of art for me. Mm-hmm. And it felt like one of a day where like I, I saw the most beautiful art in my life. Mm-hmm. And it was important. When you, you, when you have those kinds of experiences, when mm-hmm. you have that experience where you're 
you know, you have that experience where you're seeing something like that or, you know, what, what does it do for you? Like, I mean, this is me interviewing you now. Yeah. But like, what, what does that do for you? How does that, like, you know, I, I mean, it, I guess in a very simple way I could say it is, like, it probably reaffirms, like, that this is, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. But, like, do, what, how does it, how does, how do you take that and bring it into your work? Just challenges me to, to, like, it pushes the boundaries of what it means to think outside the box and to like what you can do with very simple shapes and spaces, but then what you can also do on such a large scale too. And I, I think it just continues to like push my thinking as far as what I can do with puppetry and staging and, and what I don't have to do with puppetry and staging. And, uh, and it just kind of reminds me that like, this is the community that I belong to. And, <laughs> you know, and, and that it feels like there's honor in that and it feels like there's pride and love in that work. Mm -hmm. And, and I always just want to, I like revel in sitting in those spaces mm -hmm. and I, I love it. I'm going to ask this because I'm going to ask this because I'm so curious and I've never asked, I don't think I've ever asked you this before, but, mm -hmm. um, in the next like five minutes, where, where did this, where did this love of puppetry come from? Oh, um, uh, ironically, um, Mr. Rogers mm -hmm. yeah. and Sesame Street, um, I think have always colored the work that I've done. I think Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street were really our first teachers for everybody, you know? And I think that when I started kind of working in theater and teaching and stuff, I just kind of realized how the, like adults never let go of that love and that everyone loves a damn puppet. Everyone loves a damn puppet, you know? And then in all the work that I would do with my theater company too, that like anytime we busted out puppets, like of course the kids loved it, but the teachers loved it just as much. And if not more. And so I think that like that idea that um, like a puppet is an inanimate object until you give it life and you give it breath and that, something on your hand can become a third character, right? Right now there's you and me in this room, right? But I can put a puppet on my hand and all of a sudden there's a third voice in the room. There's a third character there, right? That offers a completely different perspective. And that is so magical to me. I love that. No, no, no. That's that. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. I know. I did, That's my nerd corner. <laughs> Wendy's Puppet Corner. Wendy's Puppetry Corner. There it is. <laughs> is your is your like memoir gonna be no strings attached? Oh my no, life is a it would be, except that's the title of an in sync album, so no. Oh well, I know. Well it's gonna be you. I know. <laughs> Sorry. It is, it is. Um, let's move on to American Mariachi. Woo! Speaking of the Jimmy V. Like, speaking of Jimmy V. I know. So um we're going to shout him out a lot in this episode. No, we should have him on one day. We should. Mm -hmm. We sure, sure should. Yeah. Um, I should also tell you how I hung out with Jenny, who's the lighting designer for RuPaul. Ah! I know. Um, but anyway, so American Mariachi, you saw it before I did. Yes, I did. I saw it on opening night. Oh, and I did not. Yes. So, um, so I I saw it on opening night. Um, again, uh, shout out to my friend Colin, who's my friend that I see um, theater with, and and we were there. And like the first thing that I remember is that we had we had dinner, and then we went to we we made our way to the theater, and then like right before the right before everything. Um, the doors opened, there was a mariachi outside, of course. And I think that was, you know, it was opening night and everything. And come to find out that this mariachi was from like a high school in Chula Vista. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes, yes, Chula Vista High School or whatever. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I love, I, so me, so me as a little brown boy from the Pacific, mm. I love mariachi. Mm -hmm. I love the pageantry. I love the, I love the There's music. ceremony. There's ceremony mm -hmm. to it. It is like, I love any type of folk music that people have this kind of tradition and reverence for. And it reminds, cause it reminds me a lot of like why I love the music that I grew up with and my culture's music. 
but like mariachi it has that way to just like be like that unique sound of mm-hmm. of those of that people and and it carries with it you can hear what it carries with and who knows what and um, you know, also as a fan of jazz, like the idea that like these musicians have this repertoire that's entirely in that's completely in their mind that they all know, which, you know, is a little bit of the show. So and so I saw it and, you know, it was just I loved it. I really did. I think that like I already knew I was in for a good time because just the first scene alone and the seamless transitions in the first scene where you see this woman who is just singing this mariachi song and then all of a sudden you realize that like how she was interacting with the mariachi is actually a memory mm-hmm. and then she sits down and she's like has dementia and it was just so seamless I had to take I took a double take cuz mm-hmm. I didn't even I didn't know like what just happened I'm like oh my gosh that was a memory and, you know, anything with a bunch of women and yeah. and it was just, I thought it was really great. And then they sang, like, I kept, kept, I kept waiting for, like, a song that I knew. Mm-hmm. And then they sang the last song, La Madrugada. And I'm like, I know this yes. one. And I'm, like, singing along a little bit. and Well, and then the premise of the show mm-hmm. is that it, that mariachi is traditionally a male art form. Mm-hmm. And within this story, we find this group of women who are trying to become a female Mariachi. Yes. To honor her mother with dementia. Yeah. To honor it's her mother. Beautiful. It's like, it's based on a how like one of the first fully female mariachi groups and mm-hmm. I think the U.S. started and it takes place in like the 70s and yeah. it was, I thought it was great. And you can just, I just love like, what, I love being in a San Diego audience when like Spanish is spoken yeah. and everybody laughs because mm-hmm. they know what they're they saying. Because they get it, yeah. Because they get it because they know what they're saying and and part of it is like half the audience speaks Spanish and part of it is, you know, the other half knows exactly what they're saying because mm-hmm. they've heard it colloquially for, for, sure. know, for yeah. their entire life growing up. Yeah. When did you see it? I saw it after I got back from Europe um, and I saw it with my friend Courtney and her students and because we were seeing it with a group of students, James had arranged for the cast to stay after and talk to us a little bit about the show, which was wonderful. Um, and I, again, I loved it. There was something in it that was so moving to see kind of that like feminine power, that Chicana power mm-hmm. on stage was so beautiful. And I think that the script was a little flawed, definitely had some holes in it and, you know, some space to grow, but also like there was so much joy and beauty within this story that like, you know, by the end of it, I was just weeping again. And um, and then to sit down with the cast and talk to them about their journey on it was really lovely because they were talking about their journey as musicians. And all of those women didn't know these instruments at the beginning of this no. process. So they learned their instruments to, to be a part of this play. Um, one of the actors spoke a lot about his insecurities with Spanish and speaking Spanish and... Um, and how that's different for everybody too. And like, what is your comfort level with, with the language and, and the accent and everyone has different accents within Spanish as well. And so, um, just Was it the Nino? Um, the uncle, the teacher? No. Okay. No, 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 no. Um, so it, it was just really great to kind of hear everybody's, um, everybody's take on it, which was, just so lovely. And you could tell like how much that really meant to them. And I asked the band of mariachis if they had ever done theater before. And they said, no. (laughs) So (laughs) it was cool that they were kind of just put on such a platform and and really honored so, so much. It was beautiful. Beautiful. Thanks, Jimmy. Keep it going. Thanks, Jimmy Jams. Um, Let's, segue seamlessly of course into trading spaces yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah right which has nothing to do with mariachi but okay so trading spaces again the pageantry (laughs) the pageantry when did trading spaces come out Um, in the 90s stall for vamp for time while i do this however many years later tlc Trader, Trading Spaces, when it came out, was really the first makeover show, right? It was in 2000. 2000. Okay? So almost 20 years ago. So this was the first like before and after show. It was kind of before HGTV was a, a thing. Yeah, before TLC was even before really a TLC, thing. It, it's what made TLC a thing. Yeah. Um, 
But I mean, now HGTV is such a th- th- part of everyone's life with Fixer Upper and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But Trading Spaces was the first makeover show. Now, because it was the first, everything that they did was fucking ugly as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> everything. Well, the original budget was $1,000, right? It was $1,000 for one room with your neighbor. With your neighbor. Everything's handmade. For two days. Really a day and a half. Yeah, a day and a half. You had one carpenter. One carpenter who did both of the rooms. Two right? designers. Yeah. And, yeah, who did both the rooms. So, yeah. you know, all of those projects. And the rooms were almost, I would say, on Trading Spaces, they were a good, I'd say, 80% of the time, fugly. <laughs> yes. They were always like bananas tacky. Weird, and, weird like burlap on the wall to yes, create texture. But then yeah. like everybody kind of had their favorite designers then. And like I loved Lori and who else? And Vern. And you love... I love Hildy Santo Tomas. Oh, God, I hated her. <laughs> hated. I love Hildy because it's just like... Uh, the thing I love about her and is just like, yeah, she's not going to listen to anybody. She's going to do it exactly... You can give her all the suggestions she want. you want. She's going to do it exactly the way she wants. And she's going to do it... If you say... Do the, you remember that room where she did like a portrait of herself on yes, the wall? She it did was a portrait so of fucking gross, Joe. She's like, we're doing a sculpture piece. We're doing... And I'm just like... Like just the just the the brass balls. Tickety tack, tacky as fudge. Just yes. And then also, who's the old dude? Oh, Frank. Frank. Frank's arts and craft <laughs> bullshit. His hand painted. I mean, bullshit. God bless him. Like, and you love these people, but you know that they're fucking up someone's house. Yeah. Right. Okay. Frank so, and Hildy is like uh, just to watch. Uh, like for design, uh, design is completely different. Doug fucked some houses up too. But like they, I think they all kind of did because they all did. yeah, they all just kind of kind of fucked some things up. They fucked some things up. So okay, fast forward twenty years later, HGTV has now happened, and now America has a taste level. Right, (laughs) America has seen some shit And they have higher expectations I'm going to give you a room in my house You better not fuck it up You should know my style now right Yeah the people who like applied to be on that show They're like we love trading spaces And we don't want you to fuck our shit Yes exactly So they A they know what they're getting into Mm -hmm. But also like I've seriously I've put so much thought into this Joe (laughs) And I really feel like because as we're recording this, this 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 season of Trading Spaces, the reboot is over. No, there's one more. Is there one more? I think there's one more <gasps> week. No, there's one more week. Okay, so as we're recording this, we are we have at least one more. Yeah, I. So again, I've been thinking a lot about this, and I'm like, could I do this? Would I give the keys to my house to someone? And the answer. Is a hundred percent no. <laughs> I have such like deeply embedded trust issues, mm-hmm. and like I like my stuff the way I like my shit. But fuck no, get your hands off my house. No, I could not do that. There's no way I wouldn't do it. I just love like. Would you? Uh, of course. I'm, you would. Of course, I would. You would let Frank paint some arts and crafts bullshit on your floor. Of course, I would. I, I oh definitely God. would. The thing, the reason why I would do that is because I would die. I would just like I'd go in there and I'd be like, okay, well, you know, I'm. I would hope as most of these like type A mommies that <laughs> type A like mm. single mom or you know moms with their husbands uh, on the show. It's like I would hope that whoever I chose would advocate for me. As as much as they could, and then they do, and it still backfires. And it's on still, them. and it's still, it's like, well, it's like, it's like you want to advocate for your friend, but you also want to trust the expert, right? You uh-huh. want to trust the person who did this like ten years ago. Uh-huh. And- so let's talk about the moment, the uh-huh. reveal, because everybody watches this show for the reveal when the homeowners fucking hate what someone's done to their house, like. I live and die for that shit. I'm like, show me the homeowners who are deeply unhappy with the designers and, and what like, they've Paige done. Paige Davis is like, open your eyes. And Paige Davis, <laughs> bless her, is so eternal, eternally like sunshiny and optimistic. 
She's like, do you love it? Oh, do you love it? Let me show you this. And this. But look at that. Look at that cabinet. That was all built by so-and-so. And they're like, uh-huh, I hate it. Oh, God. Yeah, it's we're not talking what I about, asked for Well, because we had a really interesting conversation because you were like, it was, we were a few episodes into this season. She's like, we haven't had the moment yet, Joe. We haven't had the moment where, we haven't had that moment yet where Where someone fucking hates Where someone hates house. it. And mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know. I, it's like. Oh, I was waiting for it. And, and I knew it was coming because yes. those producers are smart. They know what's up. So let's talk about the moment this let's season. Let's talk about the moment where some black ladies went fucking <laughs> Full ham ape on each other. Yes. And I got my whole life because that was what I was waiting for. It was like, oh, our friendship is over. You did this to my house? What the hell? Yeah. Done. The, it's like the their eyes open is like, oh, fuck no. Like, <laughs> for real. They were like sensors galore. Oh, oh fuck, fuck oh, no. Fuck no. <sighs> I also feel bad for Clinton Kelly. Like, it was just like... I loved it Cl- so much. You know, it's like, it would be one thing. It would be one thing if it was like two designers who were like seasoned designers. Yeah. But then you have Hildy, my girl Hildy, yeah. you know, hitting it up with a stencil. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> this is the this is the inspiration, this one piece of fabric. Yeah, right. And you're hitting it with a stencil and then you have like Clinton Kelly who is not a designer. He's a fashion he's a stylist. And I liked his room too. I liked that one. He, I think he did honestly, he did a better job in his room than he did I have to say all of the guest designers this year, uh-huh. like when the carpenters designed, when they brought in like Nate and Jeremiah, when mm-hmm. they brought in like people who were not the OG designers, they are the ones who kill it. Yeah. They've been crushing it. Yeah. Because they've had a chance to like, yeah. I remember they they were saying something during like the reunion before they released the new episodes that like nobody... No people got into design because they of the show. Like this yeah. was a show that came on like after school, and people yeah. would come in and and it was it was a way for that people. It was their entree into into design. So it's like whoever that crop created is those people are going to kill it, and they did. And they just like they knew how to work their budgets. Mm-hmm. They knew like it was also people who were just like super self aware mm-hmm. of what works in their styles. And they weren't just kind of like, you know, let's let's crack a bunch of eggs and make a sculpture. And right. Like, you know, which that room was actually a really great room. Yeah. Like with the eggs and stuff. But yeah, like they didn't, that woman, all that woman wanted was some purple. She just wanted some purple somewhere. Hildy couldn't give her no purple. No. Like I was like, damn, Hildy, you're wrong on this one. You should have given her, her like purple. a red Corvette. She was like, the fuck? She was like, it the ha- fuck we did can you reference- do to my room? We can reference prints, but we oh, don't God, have to be explicit. So I'm like, bitch, give her some purple. Give her fucking purple. Oh, God. So anyway, TLC, I'm here for it. Also, can we talk about Joni the Carpenter, who was America's Next Top Model Runner Up, season six? Yeah, you were saying hey, that. Hey, girl. I was watching it, and I was like, where do I know her from? Mm-hmm. And I, I had to do some internet deep diving. Um, Not really. It wasn't that hard to find <laughs> it out, but... <laughs> But once I did find it out, I was like, oh, uh, oh, hey, remember when she was a model? And look yeah. at her. Look yeah. at her doing all of that. She was also the model that like Tyra Banks had to spend like 50 grand giving her new teeth. Oh, God. Do you remember that? Did you watch that? No. no yeah. Joni has some effed up teeth in her mouth. She had like 7,000 different snaggle teeth. Oh, no. And so part of her like makeover week, her tie over was going to the dentist and she had all of her mouth redone. It was crazy. That's insane. Well, now you know when you're watching TLC's trading spaces. She's a top model. You know that Tyra Banks paid for those teeth. So there you go. Yeah. Um so I'm I'm here for it. I I like the kitsch of it returning, but yeah. I can also like see how hard it's working to like bring it present day. Yeah, it's they're bringing it present day, and they and they're keeping some things that are still very uh, that it, it's very much like you're watching Trading Spaces, mm-hmm. like the smocks and the do 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 do. I might have to switch my like ringtone to do 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 do. Oh God! Oh <laughs> hell! Like, oh, it's Trading Spaces. Oh hell! Yes. Oh my! Again, a seamless segue. Into Coachella. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, I did not see it. Girl. I saw clips on the online. Um, but 
basically Beyonce runs our world. Mm-hmm. I would like you to talk about it. Uh, Go ahead. So Beyonce, Beyonce, uh, the uh, the uh, first and up until now only time that I've had the presence of being in the room with our Lord is um, with Wendy mm. when, during the formation tour. Mm. It was su- super kind of last minute. We ended up having really, really good seats. Yes, we did. Um, which I was not expecting, but we ended up having some really good seats. And yeah, it was, it was great. Now, Beyonce, you know, she she got pregnant with a Sir and Rumi and was not able last minute pulled out of Coachella last year. Mm. She so and Lady Gaga, of course, had to step in and, you know, had to. So she just she's had uh, she's had some time to prepare for this uh, for this particular um, this particular show. And I will tell you, it did not disappoint at all Mm. um i did not watch it live although now i'm kicking myself but i was able to find i found out that there was a rebroadcast of the night of the night before Mm. so i was able to catch the like i missed the first third she performed like twice right like she performed two hours like but like on two different nights right she performed well it was the it was two weekends yeah so she performed one weekend and then she did that show and then the next Next week she didn't the other she did the same performance they didn't put that one live but oh that yeah okay yeah right because ideally it's the same performance mm-hmm. so and she like pulled no effing punches and you know like the thing with Beyonce is that she is like she's a look queen and she's a stunt queen because she knows that those tickets for on the run for the on the run tour came out and she knows that like, Oh, the tickets are selling, but you know what? Let's give the people their lives and let's really effing sell it. Mm-hmm. And then she did this and it's like, Oh, cause she did the same thing with the formation tour at the Super Bowl. Like she knows those people behind mm-hmm. Beyonce. Are, so smart. Yes. The Illuminati is in control. <laughs> so, you know, I missed a little, I missed the beginning, but I was able to catch that part of it online. So I caught what I missed online, and she comes out there with a band, like a full on marching band, marching band, evoking like HBCU royalty realness. She was stepping. She threw shade. She was like, you know, why did it take this long to be the first black woman to hit like yeah. Coachella? And I'm like, ah. And then she gave you everything. She gave you... And then yes. she formed scholarships. And then she formed scholarships. <laughs> She's like, oh, did you want to know what all of this black college it's like, is about? He's Here a scholarship. He's a formation scholarship. Yeah. And she gave you Destiny's Child reunion. Like, you know... She gave you Solange. Solange she gave so, She gave Solange coming out and patting their weave and doing, you know, mm-hmm. like everyone's favorite part... Oh my god! And like the band was really great. They did one of the guys I follow on um, Instagram. He was he pointed this out during the live stream is that the band did a riff of um, a song by Fela Kuti, um, and I was like, oh my god! Like Beyonce is is amazing. She sang um, "Lift Every Voice," the mm-hmm. Black National Anthem, mm-hmm. to like Coachella, which is you know predominantly white, predominantly white, and run by this like super conservative Republican like dude. It's just you know like it it was it was it was really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just like, damn, this show is long and it is worth every mf penny. Yeah, I from what I saw of it, I just I really appreciate that. She recognizes her agency. Yes. And she's like, I have this platform. <laughs> Here's how I'm going to use it. And like, she's not throwing that away, you know? Yeah. No. I, one thing like I'll just say about Beyonce in general too is that she, you know, she doesn't do a lot of interviews. You know, she mm-hmm. doesn't, she doesn't talk about the work. She doesn't talk. She just kind of is very, she's one of those people who I've heard her described as like, she's very transparent with her fans, but like is also very, without being just so explicit, you know, she just kind of lets it, she lets it speak for itself. And Mm -hmm. you can postulize about all you want about what this, that, and the other means. But at the end of the day, the emotion comes through and you, the authenticity kind of comes through and it doesn't need explanation. Mm -hmm. It just is. Um, Yeah. Beyonce. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I, I went online and was like, where do I get me a shirt? Where do I get mm. me? I need the merch. I need something. I'm changed. Are we going to On the Run? You know. Is it going to be at Qualcomm? Because then my answer is no. It is going to be at Qualcomm. Ugh. So that venue is awful. I don't like I don't like enough Jay Z songs to warrant the tickets for it mm-hmm. because he's going to be there too. He'll probably do his new stuff. He'll do his classics, but like I don't know enough. Mm-hmm. I would rather go. I'd rather save my coins to just go for her. Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, if it was if it was like a redo of of the Beachella, fuck yeah, I would go. <laughs> But no, I mean, it, it's, they're billing it with him and I would rather not, mm-hmm. I would rather not give Mr. Carter my, my coins. Thank well, you. How you really feel about it, Joe? I'm just saying, you know. Well, okay. I don't pop Molly. I rock Tom Ford. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. That's a, that's a Jay-Z lyric. Oh, Joe. You so hood. Uh, West Side. <laughs> Let's move into the time 100. Okay. The 100 most influential people. Yes. Um, that is generally an issue that I go out of my way to purchase every year. This year, I did not get to a Barnes & Noble in time. So now I need to like back order my issue. But I will do it because it's important. But our girl Tiffany Haddish made the cover. Hello. Hello. Made one of the covers. Yes. Uh, there were a bunch of different covers. Why am I blanking right now? I think it might be because I'm hungry. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But the Time 100 is a really exciting issue every year. And then it it comes, it's like paired with a gala. Um, So essentially, like every artist honors another person within the issue. So, um, yeah. um, Who honored Tiffany Haddish? Again, I don't have the issue, so I don't know yet. But... Once I get that issue, I will let you know. Yes. At the gala, who was it that was saying like, oh, you know, it was Sterling. Um, Sterling K. Brown? Sterling K. Brown was was talking about the the event. And he was like, here's the thing. He's like, you're at this event with like brain surgeons and people who have discovered things in science. And like, it, you're like, I'm in the same room as them. Like, what, how does that happen? You know, because influence means... So many things, right? So the most influential people in all of the fields, in politics and in science and in arts and culture and everything and music, and it's exciting. Yeah. I don't know. That's really all I have to say about it. But once I get that issue, we'll do like a kind of... We'll do a little... We'll do a bell backtrack. We will. We'll have to backtrack that. But it deserves a mention. Deserves a mention because it comes out at the end, that last week of April. So it's like the double issue, end of April, early May. Um, And it's always a big one. And folks, you should pay attention to it. You should. You really should. So there, that's us getting preachy. You want to talk about Kendrick Lamar? Oh, Kendrick Lamar and his Pulitzer Prize, y'all. Pulitzer <laughs> Prize. Um, Damn. Uh, some trivia about um, about Kendrick Lamar. He's the first person to win the Pulitzer Prize for music that was not a... Uh, first album to win a Pulitzer Prize for music that is not a jazz or classical album. That was a rap album. Yeah, yeah. it's a rap album. Mm-hmm. And, you know... I only know the one song from it, but it is, it's, I mean, I love Kendrick Lamar, the stuff that I know from him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Culturally, again, that's an important moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Pretty groundbreaking. Um, There were some real, so just on the Pulitzer Prizes in general, uh, there were some really great books um, that were nominated, or no, that that, um, won. Um, I have uh, Less, uh, which is a book about an older queer man. Mm. Um, and it's supposed to be like this really kind of dark comedy about this guy who's kind of single and like over 50 trying to make it. And then there's also another novel or not a novel, but it's like a um, nonfiction, like soci- sociology one that talks about prisons mm. and why why black people imprison other black people. Like, I think it's what it is. I I might be completely misrepresenting this. I'm sorry, but it's basically talking about like the prison industrial complex and kind of like that pipeline. Mm -hmm. You and all your woke ass literature. I'm just trying to, you know, stay woke. Well, as long as we're talking about literature, um, can we, let's talk about trading spaces. (laughs) Can we for a sec 
Just real quick, I want to make sure I get my dates right and make sure that this is in April, not May. Um, vamping. We are vamping. vamping. You are vamping. You are vamping. Yes, this is in April. All right. Can we talk about Michelle McNamara's I'll Be Gone in the Dark? Yes, you must. And the catch and the capture of the Golden State Killer. Yes. So you... You are reading. You have read. I finished. You yeah. finished. Oh, I yes. read it. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, and if you don't, shame on you. Um, Michelle McNamara is a uh, is a uh, true crime writer. True crime writer who is also uh, was was also the wife of Patton Oswalt. Mm-hmm. Um, she passed uh, a few years ago, and it was very. It was a very hard and traumatic experience for her husband and her family. It was, she was well, also, she passed very suddenly in yeah. her sleep and she was very young. And so she was writing a book on the Golden State Killer uh, when she died. And so the book remained unfinished. And Patton Oswalt said, the best way I can honor her is, is to finish this tome, which is legitimately going to be a true crime classic because holy shit, it's insane. Uh, so her collaborators finished the book for her in this like very small part three of the book. Um, and it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And you just realize like how fucking creepy this dude was. And, um, and you know, he terrorized the whole state of California for a decade and then just disappeared into the wind for 40 years. And then Michelle McNamara was the one who was just kind of obsessively in the mire of all of this and never let it go. And she stayed in contact with detectives who had retired and investigators and true crime analysis and, and all of that. And like, she really became collaborators and partners with these investigators and, and policemen. And she earned their trust and their respect. And she wrote so beautifully about this that you forget you're reading about like horrific crimes and you feel like you're just reading this like really fascinating, disturbing, dark story because she wrote just so eloquently. Um, and holy damn. How, uh, you know, you might know the details of, of the crime more or like what ended up coming out of it, but how right was she? How, what were things that she got right? What were, you know, just the a few book things. isn't really like predictive. The mm-hmm. book doesn't say like, I think it's this, this or this, mm-hmm. you know, the book really does just kind of break down the timeline of things, the details of things. And, um, it's interesting because I don't think I could have read it if he wasn't captured mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's so terrifying. Um, but now having read it, knowing that he's been caught and kind of going over the facts and stuff, a lot of people thought he was either in construction or he was uh, military or that he was some kind of athlete or whatever. And it turned out that he was a cop. He had been a retired cop uh, or not retired, but he got kicked off the force. And so because he stole a hammer and some dog repellent, but it was in the seventies. So, you yeah. know, nobody thought to like look into it deeply. Um, they just thought, okay, you want to quit? Then bye, you know. Bye. But meanwhile, he was serial rapist and murderer, and uh, it was insane. But she makes it very clear in the book that, like, um, she doesn't ever really want credit for it. She just wants to know that he's caught and that he's behind bars and that he's handcuffed and that they find him and they have a face and a name. And so... She passed two years ago. The book came out a month ago. A month later, they captured him. So the timing of all of it was just this like snowball. And yeah. and that's kind of this like poetic justice. And how did they catch him? They caught him through a genealogy website. Mm-hmm. So Paul Holes, who is the investigative journalist who not journalist, but the invest the lead investigator on it, who had just retired. Um, he had the Golden State Killer's DNA and he ran it through. He created like a fake profile on a genealogy website and they found a third cousin, like a very distant relative match, and then was able to then kind of narrow it down according to relatives and family trees and who fits the age profile and et cetera, et cetera. They found this guy, Joseph D'Angelo, who... Uh, looked like he could be, 
And then they, they kind of like, I think they staked out his house. They matched his DNA with something that he discarded over the week. And it was a hundred percent match. So they went in and they got him. That was it. Mm-hmm. And now he's, you know, on trial or it will be, I'm sure quite some time until it's on trial, but, but holy damn, he's 72. He's not a young chicken. No. No. Anyway, that was a tangent. That was a murder tangent. Sorry yes. about it. Um, we love a murder tangent. We so. do love a murder tangent. And it is pop culture, for sure. And it was a beautiful it's literature. book. Literature and books. So now that I've gone off on my murder tangent, I would like you to go off on your nerd corner. Go. Nerd corner tangent. So April, folks. April was a really great time for us because... Tell me about all the nerdy <clears throat> movies that I will never see. Well, let's start with uh, Ready Player One. So Ready Player One, based on the novel, uh, Steven Spielberg, much anticipated uh, film directed by him. Uh, really great film. It was I saw it in IMAX 3D, which was just an assault for two hours on my senses. <laughs> just... Sounds surrounding me, people Mm -hmm. coming out. Uh, I didn't read the book for, you know, for um, Kopi fully disclosed to you. I did not read the book. And there were people, I was, you know, there in the room with a bunch of people who had written the book. They were sitting right behind me. They enjoyed it immensely. It is definitely, it is definitely a film for people who um, love 80s, 90s pop culture and especially anything to do with the video games of that era. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it was very good. And that's all I, that's all I have to say about that. Ready Player mm-hmm. One. The other, the other one I'll mention, of course, is Avengers Infinity War. And this is... I heard that some people were disappointed with this. People should... People are disappointed with it. And... And are you? And I am disappointed that I have to wait a year for the conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's... It was interesting because it's like, it very much felt like a continuation it didn't feel like a fully fleshed story i feel like they've they have been they have been trying to since the first avengers came out uh they have been laying the foundations for infinity war so first avengers comes out and then every movie in between and you know with the marvel cinematic universe these 19 films like this is the 19th film over the course of 10 years i didn't know that yeah this is like this that they've released and this particular film is kind of like the it's how they reset so the way marvel works or at least the cinematic universe works is that there's a certain package of movies that get released within like a two-year time frame that are of different phases and each phase leads up to a finale kind of conclusion that propels the genre propels the the studio forward Uh so with this phase this is like the beginning of the next phase and what happens now things will start to change so you know, with comics, like this is a this is kind of a watershed moment because the actors who have been playing the same characters, their contracts are starting to expire, mm. and th- these are people who probably will not renew because they want to go do other things, mm-hmm. and they don't want you know uh, Robert Downey Jr. has been playing Tony Stark, Iron Man for like ten years, yeah, and and he's getting old, and he's know? getting old, and you yeah. know you can't you can't be running around doing CGI mocap stuff, so. You know, the things are changed. And the, the cool thing about, like, comic books is that in comic in the comic book universe, there's different universes and different timelines. And, you're, you know, Black Panther is a man for many years. And then all of a sudden he retires. Black Panther becomes his sister. Like, it's there's many ways for people to kind of take the mantle up of that, of that particular character. And mm-hmm. I think what they're doing is preparing people for that. Mm. Um, it was nice to like go back to Wakanda because we have a really nice little chunk of the film that is uh, taking place in the Black Panther world. Mm-hmm. And, but it's just the most disappointing thing about it was that it did not feel like a full, complete story. It just felt like we were, we, we come in in medias rest and then we kind of leave and there is no beginning. There's no end. And you just kind of are sitting there wondering what's going to happen. Hmm. And there is a Marvel movie coming out in a couple months called uh, It's Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is the sequel to that film that takes place. The film of that film takes place prior to the events of Infinity War. But like people are going to be looking to it for hints because they're all connected. 
So mm. we'll see what happens. But, you know, I, I was like, I need to see this film like opening weekend because it's, it's definitely something that I've been looking forward to. And when I left, I was like, I was, I was fine. It was like, we saw all of these characters, all of these a list, a list actors from all the different franchises come together to be in one film. Like it's never, that's never happened before the amount of talent, but, (laughs) but it was also like just kind of the worst ending because, (laughs) you know, it, so many things are left unresolved and it's like, you know, nobody, it was very much like no one's going to win. Like Mm. you're going to realize, Oh, no one wins. And the, and our heroes are losing. And now we're, and that's kind of where we are right now. We're living in the, the. Aren't they though? Aren't all of our heroes losing right now? Yeah. I mean. I mean, yes. It was very. I mean, if you want to. What a beautiful and shitty metaphor exactly. for America right Art now. Art created in the age of, you know. Yeah. Yes. So that was nerd oh, corner, heavens. nerd, nerd corner. Joe's nerd corner, shit that Wendy doesn't care about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that was a lot for our delayed April. Yes. We covered a lot of business, but you know, we did it. We did do it. We did the damn thing. We did. We did it. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, I'm sorry that it was delayed a month, but I'm glad we did it. Yeah. And you know what? You don't have to wait that long for May. No, because we're about to do it right now. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do it right now. Yeah. There you go, friends. So there you go. Solid. Thanks for listening to April on delay. <laughs> now we're it's on delay, like you know, on space D E L A Y, not on delay. Like, ooh, it could yeah. really go both ways. It could be April on delay. Yeah, could it really could? <laughs> All right. I intentionally meant to be witty, but I no. Well, I thank didn't. you, Wendy. Thank you, Josephine. And let's go take a break before we do. Let's do it because I gotta pee. One. Okay. Yeah.